Thank you all for coming. Uh, this is a little bit, Bryant and I, our, our dress rehearsal. We're doing this one again tomorrow, and I wish I were kidding when I said we wrote this yesterday afternoon. Uh, but we've been thinking about it. My app has been done for months. <laughs> we've been thinking about this for, I don't know, nine or ten months. Brian and I met for breakfast um, in Hudsonville I don't know, last winter sometime, and we were talking about our school's cultures and, uh, and started to uh, think about some of the ways we might be able to share some of these things to hopefully make school cultures better. Um, and so we, we signed up to do this, and I've been thinking about it for a while. I finally got down on, on paper, or uh, slides yesterday. Um, before we start, I just want to acknowledge that these are the two institutions that we work at, and we've learned a lot of lessons about culture at these two institutions. And so we thought about putting a sign that just said, if, you go to, if you're from one of these, you're not allowed in, because we're going to talk about you. Um, and, and so it is, it is a little awkward, right, in the reality that we're going to talk about culture as we experience it and as it we see maybe problematic with the reality that these are the places we work. But we do want to preface this whole thing by saying if you are from one of those places and you stop and think, are they talking about me? The answer is no. The answer is no. We're not going to go into any specific stories or details that don't involve and make us look bad as colleagues. Um, and so if you're thinking that question, are they talking about me, you're safe, we are not. Do you want to add something? I don't know how we should do this. Do you have to go, do you yeah. pass the mic over? Yeah. Do you want to? No, I was just going to add to that, that also in a lot of our reflecting on culture, uh, I think it would be really easy, I just want to further disclaimer, it's not been like, oh, look at what this group or these people are, are doing. To It's always been introspective saying, hey, you know, here's, I think, a way that maybe we could about this differently or maybe more thoughtfully or better. So that's all, been a lot of it too has been uh, thinking about our own participation uh, sometimes negatively in terms of culture and thinking about hey how, here's how we could do that differently in the future. Next year, always next year. So <laughs> say that as Lions fans. Next year. Next year. Um, so a complex question, right? I just said, if you're wondering, are they talking about me? The answer is no. But I also hope that you will actually ask yourself that question today while you're in here. Are they talking about me? Uh, because I think in moments like this, it's really, really easy to be like, um, you know, the, like me in church, for example, when the pastor is preaching and I get my wife and I'm like, you hearing this? Like, right? like, like it's really easy to want somebody else to hear the message today. And so, and so while the question, are they talking about, the answer is no, but I do hope you'll ask, are they talking about me? And we hope that this will be a little introspective in that way for you as well. So, um, and we are doing this tomorrow. If you have a colleague, you need to send it. Um, I, so I grew up in East Lansing, where the Spartans play, and whenever I'd go to a basketball game as a kid, I always loved how the student sh section would hold up newspapers when the other team's lineup was introduced. And then they would all in unison say, who cares? You know what I'm saying? Has anyone seen this? Maybe this is not just the Spartans. I'm not a big sports guy, but I always loved that. And when I became a teacher, that became this like terrifying thing in my mind that someone would say like, "Who cares? Uh, we're talking about you know King Jeroboam. Like, who cares?" Uh, and, and I want to always kind of anticipate that question to say, if someone was to ask like, "Why does this matter? Why are you talking about this?" 
uh, you know, the, the second Constantinople, blah, blah. It's like, who cares? And so, and thinking about school culture, um, this is something that can, I think, exist almost off our radars in some ways, even though we're all contributing to creating the culture of our school. It's not something that's, that's very direct or in your face. You're probably familiar with the, the famous, I think it was a graduation talk about the fish and, hey, hey boys, how's the water? And the other fish say, what's water? That's what culture is like, right? It's, it's like we're all in it all the time and experiencing it and creating it. And so sometimes it can not go unaddressed or unthought about. Um, so just up front, school culture, I was just making a little list, and this is the beginning of it, in terms of staff retention and satisfaction. It's school culture. That's a school culture thing. Leadership development is a school culture thing. Recruiting, marketing. Uh, we, were, we were interested in our own school about how many new families uh, heard about Holland Christian through word of mouth. That's school culture, right? Positive experiences come out of people in conversation with their neighbors. Um, all our programming. And then the big one, students. School culture is one of maybe the... the for students, the least identifiable thing, but it's the most, uh, most I would say, most important thing that shapes a student, it's a student's experience of the school. Uh, I have two reminders in my own office uh, to not forget this, because as soon as life gets busy, school culture, which maybe in the summer is like this focal thing, like we're going to think about this, it kind of goes out the window because, you know, that kid's head stuck in the chair and we got to figure out how to get him out, all the things, the day-to-day -day constant things. So I have these two reminders. Um, one, these were popular a few years ago that you think of it like this, but in reality it's like this. This, uh, this is a picture from the West Wing always very busy, like task-oriented. We've got to do X, Y, and Z, and the world depends upon it. Sometimes I walk into school thinking that's what's going on. Uh, but my, the reminder is, if anyone's familiar with Word Party, my children <laughs> like this show. It's very much about relationships. It's very much about apologizing or getting along with other people. Or In my mind, this is just a reminder to say, hey, Brian, you're coming into today thinking this is going on thinking you've got to accomplish all these things, and if you don't, everything's going to fall apart. But the reality is, is the way you treat the people you work with is, is actually of greater importance to the long-term school culture. Um, to do that, I've got another sign in my office uh, that's a three miles per hour sign. Some of the most important things in a school, and for a school's culture, I think fall by the wayside when we're going 90 miles per hour. And I say that recognizing that most weeks feel like they require 90 miles per hour. Right? There's so much to do, uh, and, and we're not going to get it done unless we go 90 miles per hour, unless I'm constantly thinking and, and, and checking off a to-do list. And I totally recognize the reality of that, but I have this reminder to say, hey, three miles per hour is the speed at which you walk with another person. And school culture, I think, is, is about how we walk with one another. And I think we all maybe need that reminder that, hey, we need to bring it down to three miles per hour if this is going to be a place where flourishing happens. Well, you have a clicker? I have a clicker. Oh. Um, <laughs> so uh, at, at your home, uh, you could... 
do the dishes every time that you had one dirty dish. Right? You could do that. You could throw it in the dishwasher, you could hit run, and you could let it go, but it would not be very productive. Right? Uh, you could also let your dishes pile up until there's no room for anything, and you could do them all at once. But again, that's going to take a long time and not be very productive. The idea is that somewhere in between this and this, there's a steady and productive state where you can live. Right? There's a steady and productive state where you can live. And as we thought about how to design this presentation, uh, we initially had thought maybe we'd do a Letterman-style top 10. But it seems like uh, poor culture behaviors are actually really easily identifiable. Don't be a jerk. Don't lie to people. Right? Like, don't, those would be very simple and very. Um, and recognizing that that culture is more complex than that, what we've decided to do is is kind of try to identify a steady and productive state between two extremes. So instead of presenting ten behaviors to you today, we're going to give you five spectrums or spectra. I think is the plural. Um, of, of there's an extreme behavior on one side and an extreme behavior on the other, and there may be appropriate times for you to touch extremes. There may be appropriate times for you to, to touch extremes, but generally speaking, positive culture is going to exist in this kind of middle, steady, productive state um, between the two. And so we've got five kind of just line, uh, timelines or spectra or whatever word we're using uh, to talk about some behaviors that we see that, that affect culture. So. Um, one last disclaimer before we go uh, is just because two yahoos stand up in front of you and say this is how you should act in a school doesn't mean that's actually how you should act. Uh, we both believe the best thing that any of you have to give your schools is you, right? And who God made you uniquely and wonderfully to be. And so um, I, I would say in all of that, don't, don't try to be anybody else but you, right? Honor your uniquenesses and your gifts and your talents. Um, and just because we stand up here and say, don't do this, or you should do this, that, that, that might not be right for you and your school and how God made you to be. And so we want to, last disclaimer, you should be yourself. So this first spectrum, first of the spectrum, I like that. I guess I know that word. Uh, over here, always cynical. Uh, and... This one, it's been an interesting past several years, obviously, for all of us, but you've got this continuum of always cynical, and you'd think that maybe always positive is a good thing, right? Somebody who's always positive. But, I mean, especially in the chaos of the last few years, all the uncertainty, uh, I think we'd, we'd maybe all agree that just like constantly, what's that, a Pollyanna or whatever the, the word is, just kind of constantly like, it's all good, it'll be fine. Um, that, that fails to recognize people's experience, that might not be particularly empathetic. Um, there's one of, one of the most important gifts when someone is frustrated or venting is to say, oh, I want to like understand where you're coming from and, and to, to even feel that a little bit with you. So that's why always positive is, is maybe not always the best way to approach conversations and relationships in a school. But I think more obvious, always cynical is, is going to be really toxic to school culture and I don't care how positive and hopeful we are, I think many of us tend to, there's, there's kind of the skepticism that can go along. And, and almost, for me, I think it, it has to do with even the time of the school. I usually start school pretty hopeful and excited, but after a few emails, then all of a sudden it becomes like, oh, you know, parents or the people I work with, there's always like someone who's messing up this year for me. Uh, and, and, and when we talk like that, and, and again, it's a balance because is it appropriate to have maybe a small group with whom you can vent? Yeah, I think that's probably really healthy. Um, but 
when it comes to school culture, oftentimes just kind of like leaking this cynicism and these frustration uh, can be contagious and can lead to, uh, you know, like, yeah, I guess I feel that way too. And, and well, how come they keep doing this? Or how come they keep doing this? And, and, and that's going to be a real boundary, I think, barrier to growth. One of the things I'm reflecting on, I taught Bible for 10 years. I'm amazed by the psalmists when it comes to this continuum. The psalmists, I feel like they find this place of like this realistic hope that's almost the in-between. There's this reality that many of the psalmists are experiencing crazy things, right? There's, uh, some, sometimes it's like, somebody's trying to kill me. <laughs> Uh, you can't just be like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> like somebody said, and, and yet, most of even the Psalms of Lament are rooted in a bigger story of a God who's faithful, and their response is hope. And it's not some like pie in the sky hope, but it's, it's you know what, something more is going on here, and I'm going to trust in the faithfulness of God, recognizing that things are falling apart around me, and trust, and just do the next thing in faithfulness. In my mind, that's a, a really wonderful balance. I like that word context, um, because if you think about what you experience maybe in a, in a season of crisis or a moment of crisis, having a broader context that that crisis fits within, I think gives us perspective. Um, the book of Revelation does this in a really cool way. Um, the, the churches to whom John is writing, they're in the middle of all kinds of chaos. Uh, we don't know all the details, but definitely uh, experiencing forms of persecution, forms of all kinds of things. Um, and, and, and John recognizes that. And in chapter 4, he offers a bigger, broader context for their suffering. And he gives them this vision of the throne room. And if you read it, it goes on for two chapters. And it, it's almost like I wish we could see and hear the things he's talking about. Because he starts with a little throne in the middle. And then there's these creatures surrounding the throne. And then 24 other thrones around that throne. And then there's like rainbows and thunder and a sea. And then uh, he gathers, oh, everyone who ever lived around the throne. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I remember riding to school, um, actually, my, my dear friend, and his mother is here, Joel Hoffman is a wonderful friend. This is a good story, don't worry. He would drive me to baseball practice. Do you remember when Joel had the subwoofer in, in the back of his car? Yeah, yes. We'd be on our way, and, and I'm, not, I'm not a big music guy, and Joel would always love to, right, when we get there, turn up the subwoofer, and all of a sudden you'd like truly feel the music, like it's like, the, like there's like shaking happening. And I always imagine that experience when I think of... <coughs> Uh, Revelation chapter 4. He just like keeps turning it up and louder and louder and louder. And by the end, the churches to whom John is writing, it's like almost like they've lost their current circumstances in the midst of this bigger thing happening, the worship of the Lamb. And it's as though John's saying, like, hey, uh, let's we're going to come back to your circumstances in just a minute. But you need to know that that's the bigger, realer, truer thing going on right now in this moment. I'm blabbing way too long, Mechas, but if I may just give one quick example of this that I, I thought was really, really excellent. Um, Lansing Christian School, we've got some people here from Lansing, 
right now. And I apologize, I didn't ask to use this example, but this was on the internet, so it's your own fault. On the internet, it's fair use. Um, but during the midst of just the craziness of, of COVID and the really strong opposing perspectives on just about everything, and this, I believe this was in the middle of mask mandates and, and, and people frustrated on every side of everything. But I really love, Lancy Christian did, and you can correct me if I misunderstand some of these things that Catherine and I think maybe you wrote this one. <laughs> what I learned about this is it was, it was acknowledging the, the complexity of the current moment and giving even a window into how it was being processed and, and how it was being wrestled with by the teachers in the school. So I'll read it super fast. Dear students, with the difficulties of this year in the past 21 months, we wanted to take a few minutes to remind you of a few important truths. That's context, right? They're saying, I want to remind you of some other things going on. We are your teachers. We love our calling. We love our subjects. We love teaching, leading, and seeing learning and growing taking place. We are your teachers. Lansing Christian is a community to which we've been called to which we are invested, for which we are passionate. We are your teachers. We are committed to seeing you become all that you didn't even know you could be. Become who God has created you to be. Become your whole self. These past months have been some of the most challenging months as teachers and of our lives. We have learned to adapt to daily functioning, to our, adapt our daily functioning. Learn, that, learn to meet challenges Okay, sorry. Learn to meet ever-changing needs. Learn to give you grace when you are struggling. And in our learning, we admit we can be short with you. We can be unclear with you. Because many days we are struggling as well, struggling to navigate our contentious culture, struggling to care for ourselves and our families. Let's skip down to the end. Ultimately, we see your commitment to improve, to learn, to grow in the midst of these hardships. You are fighting and trying, even though you have been fatigued, which inspires us even more than you can know. We want you to remember this truth from God's word. Let us not grow fatigued in doing good, for at the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in this community. We are your teachers. We want you to grow and feel known. And we want to remind you that we are thankful for you. We pray for you. We care for you. Have a restful and blessed Thanksgiving. This was read to the students by the teachers in a chapel. And in my mind, it was just this perfect balance between recognizing the hard things and giving a broader, hopeful context for those students. I'm going to close my mouth. I guess the mic's yours. Any, any other thoughts or questions about cynicism and positivity for Brian? <laughs> okay, uh, the, second, the second continuum that we thought of is, is always has to be a part of everything, doesn't want to be a part of anything. Um, this, Brian and I are very different. I write things out and... and, and have bullet lists, like very type A, and Brian is, as you can tell, wonderfully. I had some dot, dot, dots in the slides that I was going to put pictures in, but he just had to erase a few minutes ago because I forgot to put pictures in. <laughs> okay, um, we're going to be great pictures. Um, when we have to be a part of everything, um, the, first, the first two kind of go together. We may come off as annoying and we may come off as a show. 
Uh, and I think that that applies to all roles in a school, including people in a role like mine as an administrator. Right? We may come up as annoying, a know-it-all, a show-off when we try to be a part of everything. More importantly, though, um, I'm, I'm worried that when we are a part of everything, our colleagues may wonder if we trust them. Right? If we feel the need to insert ourselves in everything, um, our colleagues may start to wonder, do they think that I am competent? Do they trust my opinion? Do they look down on me? Right? Do they, do they think that my thoughts are valuable here? And those are the types of thoughts that start to creep in and destroy culture. Right? Um, and it may not be our intent. Right? I, I want to acknowledge that the intent here is not necessarily malicious. I don't know that it ever is, actually, in our Christian schools. Um, but these are the types of things that begin to erode. Um, similarly, colleagues may wonder if their work is valued. Right? Colleagues may start to wonder if their work is valued. On the other end of this, when we don't want to be a part of anything, uh, number one, we don't grow in relationship together. We don't grow in relationship together. And, and I don't know about you, but I think that is one of the greatest things about working in Christian education is the relationships and the people that we get to do our work with. And when we don't engage and we, we, take, we, we, we give our part there and we leave, um, we don't get to grow in relationships together. And I think that's one of the best parts. Some of those eroding questions that start to, start to get asked. Are they on my team? Can I trust them? Right? Can I trust that person? Um, are they less committed than me? That one's tough, right? Uh, if, we, if we start to wonder, if we start to wonder, is that person less committed than me? And the thoughts that follow after that, um, both in the, the philosophical but in the practical nature, things like, uh, you know, here I am busting my butt and I'm giving everything and I'm doing this and I'm setting this up and I'm here till 5 o'clock and I'm, I'm here early and I'm here late and, I'm, and they get paid the same amount as me, Right? And the, the, the resentment and things that can start to grow among our colleagues, um, those are disastrous for culture. This one, um, do they really believe in the cause of Christian education? I think that that is, is a question that actually probably we ask sometimes. Um, specifically, uh, and I'll say it gently, uh, an older generation of Christian school teachers and a younger generation of Christian school teachers. Um, this idea that Christian education and being a Christian educator is a, is a high calling and a sacrificial way of living is true. Is true. Um, I, yeah, I should have probably thought through how to say this a little more gently. But um, I think it's a real question that sometimes gets asked. These, um, does that colleague really, they don't get it. They don't really believe in it. They don't really believe that I'm supposed to give so much of myself. They're not engaging. They're not whatever. Um, and just sow seeds of, of, of problem in, in culture. And then the last one, I put this in there, because I'm an administrator. Why does my administrator allow this? Right? Why does my administrator not address that this person isn't doing their part, that they're not doing their role, and I'm here working my tail off, and I don't get, um, not that this has ever happened, but um, again, seeds of distrust that are sown, because these questions start to get, start to get asked. Do you have anything to add? Nope. <laughs> this one, I think, plays off of what Aaron's talking about. On one end, distant and reclusive. And then the other is uninvested in places outside of school. So this one is, is almost like 
building off of Aaron's not present in the in maybe extracurriculars, um, showing up to, to support kids as they perform in theater or, or um, sporting events. <coughs> this one is, is the kind of the opposite extreme, like not invested in other places that don't have to do with school. Um, and, and maybe both extremes can be unhealthy. This one's tough for me because uh, we've got four little girls and a fifth on the way and, and often being overwhelmed. And I look at, you know, I hear people talk about like, oh man, the soccer game last night was amazing. And, and I, I sometimes wonder, like, I feel a little disconnected. And I've even had it before in my own classroom where a kid is dejected or just not engaged. They're like, what the heck's the matter with that kid? And then I find out like, well, the game last night. I didn't know there was a game last night, and, and, and realizing how outside of my classroom they have lives and they're, how they you know, show up in class, it's being impacted by all kinds of things. And um, so that's, I think, one challenge, is how do we participate, how do we be invested, but also have boundaries with those investments? And this isn't an easy, like, hey, here's five questions you can ask yourself. I think that might be one that we're kind of always bouncing back and forth between. But, hey, I want to be invested, but I also want to have healthy boundaries. Uh, for me, and I've had this conversation with so many, um, when someone has children or gets married or becomes part of a life of a church that, that's really, you know, they're invested in, this conversation that I find I'm actually a better teacher when there's this whole other part of my life that's flourishing or requiring investment or, and I always imagined the opposite would be true. I always thought that, wait a minute, won't that take my attention away from teaching? But I think this kind of upside down reality is that no, having a full, healthy, flourishing life actually allows for more presence when I'm with my students. And some of my, my favorite stories as a student were stories where teachers were reflecting on things God was teaching them, you know, maybe with their family, or on a vacation they went on, or, and, and learning from their life, not just from the 45 minutes we have together. Um, I found that it's a great encouragement when teaching and, and, or presenting, there's always nerves, right? There's always like this fear of this could go really badly or are people going to think I'm dumb? All those things. But for me, what became such a great encouragement as a teacher was knowing that no matter what crashed and burned in the classroom that day, like I mean, we just had like the worst lesson. I'm going to go home and there's going to be a two-year-old in a diaper who's going to say, hey, you want to pretend we're horses? <laughs> and I'm going to say, yeah, let's do that. And then we're going to pretend we're horses for the next, like, 45 minutes. <laughs> and there's been times when I'm trying to, like, explain, like, oh, Dad had a hard day. I, I forgot to go to a meeting. And she's just like, we should pretend the barn is over by the couch. You know? <laughs> I said, she doesn't care. <laughs> like, she does not care. And, and all of a sudden, this, uh, this identity as a father creates this freedom and almost gives me more peace and presence when I'm with my students, knowing that, you know, I, I, this might not go perfectly, but I have this whole thing, like this life, that doesn't fall apart if this doesn't go just as I planned. I would describe that as invested with healthy boundaries. Uh, next one never speaks candidly and always speaks candidly. Yeah. 
I was just speaking candidly. I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I hated that book. It sucked. Here's why. And all of a sudden, Brian felt discouraged because of me, right? And I think that's got to be one of the worst things that could happen in our Christian schools, that one of our colleagues discourages us from doing something exciting new for kids, right? And so, um, you know, I guess my encouragement on this is um, just think twice before sharing candidly. Again, it's not necessarily malicious, and it's not always wrong, um, but is it helpful? Is your, is your candor helpful in that particular situation? Because um, if it's at the risk of discouraging our colleagues from something they're excited about, keep your mouth shut, right? Um, those types of things. We bully others into silence, we discourage them, um, and not maliciously. It just, under the guise of speaking honestly, we are not always great teammates. Is this you? So, thanks too high of own opinion, and thanks too little of own opinion. Sometimes this, I think, comes off as, and I, and I want to be careful because sometimes what seems like arrogance is actually insecurity, like two inches under the surface, right? Um, so I don't necessarily want to say this one's insecure, this one's. Because that's not always how it works. Maybe they're both insecure, probably. I think that maybe my own experience is, is just like, oh, man, like I, I uh, talked about how I did something really well or how I had this insight on something because I just want affirmation from my colleagues, not because I think I'm the, the greatest thing. Um, so thanks too high of own opinion, thanks too little of own opinion. There's kind of this sweet balance, I think, and it comes from recognizing that... God has given me experiences that are unique. God has given my neighbor experiences that are unique, uh, perspectives, insights, etc. So my opinion has a place, but also that my neighbor's opinion is just as valid and just as important. And the really cool thing, I think in Christian schools, if, I hope you've experienced that moment when multiple ideas kind of intersect and become something that wasn't what I was talking about or what you were talking about or what you were talking about. It takes on this life of its own and, and it kind of has this semblance of each of us in the thing we created. I think that, in my mind, is the perfect kind of collaboration. And I know um, encourage, people are being encouraged to collaborate across Christian schools. And what does that really look like? I think a really cool, productive, meaningful collaboration is the result of this balance when we recognize what we have to share and also recognize what our neighbor has to share. I forgot to put the slides here. This is good. Um, so when we think too high of our own, our own opinions, one, I would just say veterans beware. Um, I think oftentimes we are able to speak our wisdom to, to others because of our own experiences. It's important to remember that our experiences were our experiences in our class with a certain set of students at a particular moment in time, and that doesn't mean necessarily that what you learned once upon a time is, is applicable to do. Right? Um, I think sometimes when we think highly of our own opinions, we become loud and we become stagnant. Right? I think in a school, the adults need to be learners. Right? And, and if we value our own opinions more than that of others, uh, we lose a growth mindset and we become stagnant and, and non-growing. 
I just want to add one quick thing for veterans beware. There's something so beautiful. I remember experiencing this a few years ago with a teacher who was like, I think a year or two away from retirement, talking about this professional growth opportunity that they found and asked if they could go to. And I'm thinking like, what? <laughs> you know, uh, you're about done. Like, you don't have to do that anymore, you know. <laughs> and, and honestly, I'm thinking about, like, if this, if this opportunity required money, if I'm an administrator, I'm thinking, like, yeah, this investment's not really going to pay Like, <laughs> the tire's ticking. Um, but, but, man, I remember just being like, what? That's amazing. Here you've got this person who's been teaching for 20-some years, and they're thinking, how can I get better? What might next semester look like? How can I be more present and notice my students and, and, and help encourage them? It was just like, wow, that's a really incredible thing. Uh, I think we often have a tendency to divide when we have strong opinions that are, that are held and that we, we value very highly. I think it creates clicks at times. Um, and then just a reminder, you might be wrong, right? You might be wrong. When we think too little of our own opinions, uh, we become quiet and we become withholding, right? And like I said earlier, I think we all have a uniquely and wonderfully made to share with, with our schools. Um, I would say that as an administrator, right? Every, um, every person that we hire, we hire to, to be you and to give what you have. And so if you value your opinion so little that you're unwilling to share it, we miss out. We miss out. The rest of us. Um, our opportunities to learn from you become limited. And I actually think that if you value your own opinions very little, you miss out on opportunities to learn too. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have shared my opinion and, and somebody smarter has corrected me or given me a different thought. And, and I'm like, wow, I'm glad I said that. Not because I, I, I do feel dumb. I, like I shouldn't have said it. That was stupid. But um, I'm better because of it. I'm better because I, did, I, had, I had the... Um, ability to, to say a thought, and somebody was able to build on it, or share it, or, or give a contradictory one, and so I am better, uh, because I speak my opinion sometimes. Um, again, our schools miss out on what you have to offer, and then you might be right. Um, so just, I mean, keep that in mind. New, new teachers, you might be right. Um, and so it is valuable when you share your opinion with, with everybody else. And that reminds me, Aaron, that we do this with our students all the time, right? Like, I hate it. There's nothing worse than when a student, like, why did I just say something, but they weren't quite sure, like, is this going to be dumb? Like, that, I always get so mad. I'm like, man, I want to create an environment in which you feel like you can. And then I realize, oh, I do that all the time. Uh, I do that all the time, and I'm guessing you do too, where it's like, oh, I think I might say something, but probably not. And... Uh, man, to have that perspective that, man, my, when my students do this, it, it breaks my heart in a sense. Uh, that I, I, and, and how many times the students taken the risk has really contributed to a classroom discussion. Like, man, thank you. So again, I, I want to draw back to this example because I think it's really helpful. Uh, there are times when it's okay to do one dish, right? And there are times when it's okay to let it pile up. Um, but generally speaking, somewhere in between these two is a productive state. Uh, there, there are times when it's really appropriate to be candid. And there are times when it is, is appropriate to, to keep your mouth shut, right? There are times when it's appropriate uh, to hold your opinion in high regard because of your experiences and your wisdom and your, your 
your time, right? There are also times where it's appropriate to value your opinion very little uh, because your opinion might not be based in all that much knowledge, right? Um, but, but generally speaking, there is a productive state between those two. And so, um, you know, if you find yourself on one end or the other of these, of these continuums, um, I, just, I would just encourage you to think about that and think about what role you might be playing in your school's culture, again, inadvertently, most of the time, um, with good intention, most of the time. Uh, but it, it just often kind of ends up um, uh, with some unintended consequences. And the last thing that I want to remind you of that we put up there, the best thing any of us have to give to our school is our real and authentic selves. And I want to encourage you to be you. Uh, like I said, we miss out when you don't bring what you have, what you've learned, who you are, uh, to the table at our school. You all have an important role to play in the culture. Um, and I would encourage you to, to live into those, those authentic people that God's made you to be. Yeah, when I think of the middle of any of those continuums, um, I think of just the word like healthy or whole, and what's right underneath the surface of this extreme or this extreme, some form of unhealthiness, unwholeness. Um, and so for me, when, you know, when I look at this slide, I even feel a little challenged sometimes as a teacher. Uh, I've wrestled with like, yeah, I don't even really know my like, authentic self. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, when I'm with students, there kind of turns into this one kind of version of myself. And then sometimes I'm like tired and I want to rest. And I'm, or, there's all these, and I don't really know what, who I am in this given moment. Something that's been really helpful for me is to uh, seek that wholeness in, in life with Jesus. Specifically, I love John 15, the image of a vine. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Fruit happens as a result of this connection with Christ. Uh, I remember as a, a, a college student freaking out over not knowing who I was, not knowing what to do with my life. And I went to Hope College. There's this beautiful chapel. And every stained glass window is a saint. Um, every stained glass window is the story of that guy or that, that, that woman who they live this life of faith. And they're held up as examples or signs pointing to what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's their intent anyway. Whenever I walk into the chapel, I'm always like, ah, like I don't measure up. I don't belong here. <laughs> Uh, for me, these saints became this incredible, like, intimidating thing. Uh, and, and I remember walking into the chapel one evening, particularly stressed, trying to say, like, like I don't know, God, like, I don't know who I am. Uh, I, I don't know who to be or even what to do as a career. And I hope, I think those are all connected. So how am I supposed to make a choice about what to do? And it was just a really powerful experience. Uh, I was sitting in the front pew actually crying <laughs> and, and saying, like, God, just, like, show me a window to be like. Like, do you want me to be bold and brave like that person or kind of more behind the scenes like this person? Or just show me. I just, I just don't know who to be or what to do. And through my tears, I looked up, and I truly, this is funny to say, but I saw a window I never had seen before. And it was the one right smack dab in the middle of the, of the chapel. And it was Jesus holding this little child in his arms. And it was as though the Holy Spirit was saying, that one. Forget about these ones. I want you to be that one. 
I want you to remember that you are a child, and I want you to, instead of trying to figure out all these big questions, I want you to stay in my arms and make that your number one priority, and the rest will come. Uh, that continues to be an important reminder when I see a quote like this, my authentic self, that's my authentic self. And I think that's yours too. Finding your life, your identity, your health, your wholeness, as in your identity as a son and daughter of, of, the, of the Father. Anything else to add? I guess I don't know what time it is. We're good. We have time if anyone has questions. Hey, anybody have any questions? <coughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks.